Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day, Lord. Thank you for all of the ministries of this wonderful church, including the health ministries and everything that falls under it. Lord, we're going to take a look at a very serious health topic. Use us and lead us and guide us. Give us strength to be a light unto the world, to people no matter what situation they may find themselves in. Use this ministry and all of your ministries to bring glory and honor to you and you alone is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Start off with about a 90-second video, and then we will get going. And that right there is End It Now in a Nutshell. Those are some scary statistics. When you think one in three women in the world, there are approximately six billion people of the world, over half are women because men have this bad tendency to band together and commit violence against each other. And one third of three billion is a billion with a B, women that will be affected by gender-based violence at some point in their lifetime. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church has always done work around this through international programs with ADRA. Women's Ministries, of course, has always been engaged in this. But in late 2009, the Lord impressed upon certain people of the church that we need a formalized program, that we need, this is a public health issue. We're going to go into all that in a moment. So ADRA, from the International Component and General Conference Women's Ministries, got together to pull all of these things that are happening within the church together. So I want to lay a little bit of groundwork for the next two days. Um, I'm going to be non-gratuitous. We're dealing with a tough topic here. It would be very easy just to say things and show things, just to tug at the heartstrings, but that doesn't accomplish anything. I want to give real factual information that we can take and make actionable to make a difference in the lives of people in the name of Jesus. However, I'm going to be honest and straightforward. Today, I don't, I don't know if anyone here is a survivor. Statistically, there is a survivor of domestic violence in this room. I don't think there are any triggers in this first day, um, but feel free to take care of yourselves. The restroom's there. If you need to step out, you're not going to offend me. No one's going to judge you. Um, pronouns. English language is very broken. You have he and she. If I refer to someone in the third person singular, I have to identify them by gender. I'm going to say he when referring to a perpetrator of violence, she as a victim. Nine times out of ten, that's true. Please do not interpret that to mean that there are not men who are victims of domestic violence and there are not female perpetrators. However, we know that the majority of violence is men against women. In this context, it is a safe place. You may feel a full range of emotions. It's okay to be angry at the sin. It's okay to feel upset, hurt, whatever it is. I've been through the whole range and back again. We're among friends here. I'm asking questions. This morning, schedule's pretty tight because we really have a hard deadline at 10.30. Feel free to jot down questions. Tomorrow, the four-hour session in the morning is going to be much more conversational. I want to get people engaged. Once you've kind of gotten the background information today, you chew on it tonight, a zillion questions are going to pop up. And the agenda, you do have an agenda here in the left pocket give you an idea of what's going on. Um, this morning, I'm going to have an introduction and overview. What is End It Now? Why is the church doing this? Um, then Claudio is going to talk about it. He's North American Division Family Ministries Director. We're going to hear from, I need the tape on the floor to keep me in range of the camera. Um, 
Katya is going to talk about really looking at the fact that abuse does happen in faith communities. And a lot of research out of Southern Adventist University, unfortunately, tells us it's the same for our church. Tomorrow, I really dig in. Why do we have gender-based violence in our world, especially here in North America, when we tend to think that we are so enlightened? What's the culture that drives that? What is the effect on our young people? That's a question we're not asking. The children who witness this then wind up growing up to be perpetrators and victims. We're going to talk about working with victims. You're going to find that they do, they are in our church at the same rate as the rest of the world. We need to be equipped to know how to minister to them from both a spiritual and a practical aspect. I'll answer that question, why does she stay? That's the question I get more often. Why does she stay in a relationship like that? It's one sentence and then it takes 15 slides to really unpack that. So, and we're gonna ask the important question tomorrow, why does he batter? We always say, why does she stay? Why did she get abused? Why did this happen? How about we ask the question, why does he do this? We're not gonna solve this problem until we address that question. So I'll tease you with that, and then in the afternoon session tomorrow, we're gonna really dive into that, because quite frankly, our church is not equipped to deal with those who commit abuse. We just don't have the tools. It's not that we don't have the heart or the spirit, the tools aren't there. So round about fig thing of what's going on tomorrow morning, got some videos, like I said, some discussion. Good stuff. A little about myself. I am currently studying at the Program on Domestic Violence at the University of Colorado, Denver. Instead of being in the public health or social work realm, it is in the public administration realm. Um, public administration, criminal justice. We're exploring the questions of not helping victims and perpetrators. That's very important. Most people do work in the domestic violence field in direct service. But how do we change the world? How do we affect the change to stop this before it happens? That's really the goal of the program. I have worked at Safe Passage, a shelter in upstate South Carolina. Um, women's shelter, they offer rape crisis services, um, child forensic interviewing, you know, when there's suspected child abuse, the way you interview them so that it's admissible in court, they can be filmed, therefore you don't have to put a child on the stand in court. Lots of great stuff going on there. Um, batter intervention program in North Carolina, so I've seen this from both sides. I've heard the stories from um, on the ground from both sides. Um, and I'm currently serving on the primary prevention task force for the South Carolina Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault. The first thing I wanted to put on the agenda is can we get a shorter name? But the idea is again, it's great that we're providing services after the fact, but how do we stop the violence? And I have my certificate from the Advocates Institute of the North Carolina Coalition Against Domestic Violence. So that's what I'm bringing to the table here. I do not do this full time. I do this evenings and weekends because God has called me to do it. I work for Bank of America doing IT work, at least until March 6th. That's when my contract runs out. What the Lord has for me after that, I have no idea, but it's gonna be fun, I'm sure. We have a small group here, which is cool. I like the fact we can get to know each other, get a little more conversational. So let's take a couple of minutes to go around the room, tell me who you are, where you're from, um, What's your background? Are you working in this field? Or are you not? Knowledge around abuse and domestic violence. I don't want to get to the very basics if everyone here is a social worker who works with victims. But at the same time, I don't want to assume you know things. And what would you like to learn? Start here. Very true. And the part about how many women go to the emergency room due to domestic violence, we're talking about that here in about 10 minutes. 
The other piece you're asking about is unfortunately tomorrow late morning, so you might miss that, but we can talk offline. We can get together at some other indeterminate point in the future, so we'll definitely get you whatever information you're looking for. Yes, sir. Okay, and a lot of the how-to is, is going to be tomorrow morning session. That's where we're going to unpack that. We're really laying all the groundwork and getting all the facts today, but we are definitely addressing that. We have a huge portion devoted to that. Awesome. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay, so you being in prison, both victims who have been... I don't want to use the word railroaded by the system because the criminal justice system really doesn't know how to deal with victims who retaliate as well as perpetrators. Okay, so you've got a huge picture here going into a lot of that stuff. So, and I just, part of my call to action tomorrow is we need to start working with children when they're this high. And so we heard children's ministries, it's like, yay, <laughs> lit up. So wonderful, great group here. And the Lord is going to use us all as we go back to our various locations. All right, pop quiz. Pink ribbon, what does that represent? Everybody knows that, right? Yeah, I went to Lowe's, garden flag, pink ribbon. A friend of mine just bought running shoes, pink ribbon. Sam's Club, there's toilet paper with the pink ribbon on it. On the package, not the actual paper, that could get a little weird. <laughs> but I mean, it is everywhere. What about the purple ribbon? Domestic violence awareness. No one came up with that even where we're at. That shows you that not many people know about that. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Ten years before it was that, it was Domestic Violence Awareness Month. The purple ribbon has been around a lot longer than the pink ribbon. So the logical conclusion is right that so many women are affected by breast cancer, but very few by domestic violence, right? That's what you would, the conclusion you would draw from this and it would be an incorrect conclusion. One in four women in the United States and Canada, basically the Western world, will be victims of domestic violence versus one in eight for breast cancer. Twice as many women will be abused as will get breast cancer. We're having this conversation. We're not having this conversation in our church or as a society. So 28 million women who are alive in North America right now have or will be victims at some point in their life. 28 million. If there was any other disease affecting one in four women, 28 million, one billion worldwide, you would have riots in the streets until there was a solution. We don't have that here. I believe you'll be getting a copy of the PowerPoints if, if they do not distribute them, my email address is there on my card as well as my phone number in your folder. Feel free to email me. I will get you this. I will get you anything you want. I've got, I could fill a box this big <laughs> with information. So, yeah, we'll definitely get you copies of this. In the United States, three women are murdered by their partner every day. Um, September 17th, 2009, I believe was the date, 11 women in this country were murdered by their husband or boyfriend in that one day. I do this, I live in north, um, just south of Charlotte, North Carolina, so right in the middle of the Carolina Conference, so I do a lot of this in the Carolinas, so I've picked these two states. In North Carolina in 2010, there were 73 domestic violence homicides, um, 36 in South Carolina just to give you an idea of how big of a problem this is. Um, our nurses here can speak to this. 
More women visit the emergency room for domestic violence than car accidents, muggings, and stranger rape combined. We have these visions. Car wrecks are deadly. They're nowhere near as deadly as they used to be. Cars come with 40,000 airbags now. Muggings, you have stereotypes of walking the dark alley and getting mugged or raped by a stranger. Most rape is committed against a woman by her partner or someone she knows. It's the whole Central Park jogger guy jumped out of the bushes with a ski mask. It happens, but it's very rare. Most violence against women is committed by someone they are in a relationship with. A woman is battered on average 35 times before calling the police or seeking help. So if you are at a place, whether in your profession or in your church, you are working with a victim, understand that it probably didn't just happen for the first time. There is this whole history behind there, and we need to be cognizant of that. And we'll talk about that tomorrow, why it's real easy to just jump in and say, here's the solution to your problem, let's go. Not that easy. And really, that's the wrong thing to do. But again, teaser for tomorrow. The average woman attempts to leave seven times before finally breaking away. She left. Why did she go back? You know the answer to this. Those who have been there know the answer. Those who haven't, don't. And it's easy to make assumptions. So again, we'll unpack that um, later. Over 60% of people who abuse their spouse also abuse their children. Some studies say 70 to 80%. I cannot find a study that doesn't say at least two thirds. If a man is abusing his wife, the children are either being abused physically, sexually, and it's abuse just to witness this. They've, We've got a whole class in our program at UC Denver just about the effects on children of just witnessing it, of just even if they don't even witness an actual punch, knowing that that's going on in the home. This is a scary statistic right here. 90% of teens between 15 and 17 who witness physical abuse run away from home. I'm not saying they stay gone forever, but they're at least running away, being defined as leaving the house and staying somewhere at least one night away from home. What is a 15 to a 17-year-old child, and they're still children, they think they're adults, but they're still children, doing on the streets to support themselves? Prostitution, drugs, gang activity, criminal destructive activity. So we want to address, and when we think that the average girl enters prostitution in this country at the age of 13, usually because she is fleeing abuse in the home. We want to address prostitution. We want to address trafficking of teenagers. We want to address drug abuse. We want to address gangs. We have to address domestic violence in the home. Not saying that's going to solve everything, but I'll tell you, it will make a significant difference in every social ill we have in the Western world. So what is domestic violence? My specialty of study and work is mostly about adults who abuse adults. Children who have been abused, I have not worked directly with children who have been abused in a clinical counseling sense. Um, Katia, Mac, and Claudia will come at it more from that perspective. When, I'm, when I use the phrase domestic violence, there's three parts to it. This is key. There's about five words I hope you carry out of here by five o'clock tomorrow. Right here is three of them. The systematic, it is not random. He did not just lose control. It is not the drugs and alcohol. Again, we're gonna unpack that. Systematic, these things happen over and over. Use of tactics, and there are specific tactics that he, again, most of the time he, sometimes she, uses against an intimate partner to exercise power and control. 
physical as well as non-physical means. We think of abuse as the punching, the kicking, the slapping, the choking. My father was extremely abusive. He never hit, he wouldn't even spank me. Wouldn't even do that. I don't believe in physical violence. I never hit my mother or my brother or anything. But there was definite abuse going on in that home because he used tactics. He told me, I sit up at night and think about ways to do this. Not everyone is so calculated, but a lot of people are to exercise that power and control. You have physical abuse, we know what that is. Emotional and verbal abuse, when you get told that you're too stupid to live and you're ugly and you hear it a thousand times, 20, 30, 40 times a day, your brain has physical changes where it becomes wired to think that way. It becomes as real to you as a black eye. And when you think you are all of these things, how are you gonna summon the courage to break away? How are you gonna summon the courage to stand up for yourself? Teaser of why does she stay? Isolation. I could not pick most of my cousins and even one of my uncles out of a police lineup. My father moved us hundreds and hundreds of miles away. We did not interact with family. His version of reality was reality because we knew nothing else. Isolation is a form of exercising power and control. If you're cut off from your church, your friends, your family, you have no support structure. Um, sexual abuse, it is illegal to force yourself upon your wife or anyone. It wasn't illegal until about 20 years ago. North Carolina spousal rape was not a crime until 1993. Not 1893, 1993. Um, economic abuse, you're not allowed to have money. How are you gonna leave with two children if you have no money? My mother was not allowed to work. She worked one day as a waitress. My, she came home, my dad put her tips in an ashtray and burned them. You will never work. Not noble, I wanna provide for you. I want you to have no resources. You're dependent on someone, you're gonna do and believe whatever they say. And spiritual abuse. In the secular domestic violence world, they don't talk about that this much. Talk about this much, but cutting a woman off from church, making her, or anyone, making their lives so miserable, if they go, fine, you can go to church, but if you give them grief about it, finally they're just gonna say, you know what, I don't wanna deal with it. I don't wanna hear about God, I don't wanna hear about prayer, I don't wanna hear about anything. You just shut down, it's like, all right, I'm just gonna stop talking to God, I'm gonna stop reading my Bible, I'm gonna stop going to church just to keep the peace. Systematic use of tactics to exercise power and control to isolate you. So what about the church? People are nodding heads, we know that all this stuff goes on in the world, but we're Seventh-day Adventists, we're in the church, we have the truth, we have the spirit of prophecy, we have Adventist Home, which is the greatest book ever written outside of the Bible in my opinion. We have all of these things, we, it doesn't go on in our church, right? We can wrap up and go to some other seminar now. Dr. Renee Drum at Southern Adventist University, she's the Dean of the Department of Social Work, wonderful, wonderful lady. Um, her study shows that abuse occurs in the church, and she specifically studied the Seventh-day Adventist church at the same rate as the general population. Remember those numbers, one in four? Look around your church. Look around the next camp meeting or women's ministries meeting. One in four. Um, Enditnow.org has a lot of this information. Um, the address is on the back of my business card. It's in half of the dozen of the brochures. Um, in fact, everyone gets, and these are extremely rare. I had these custom made. There are only 50 of them in the world. Enditnow.org, put it on your car window. They're very, very durable decals. 
not those that fade inside of five minutes. And it's tough for people to swallow that. I did this presentation at a church in the middle of North Carolina, very receptive to it, really wanted to get involved. The church was already involved with a local shelter in ministry, which is awesome. But I had a person stand there and argue with me for 45 minutes. It does not happen in our church. Yes, it does. I, do, I wish it didn't. I wish it didn't. You know, it gives the church a bad name. It gives God's people a bad name when these things are happening. But we are also the only church of any denomination, Christian, non-Christian, that has a formal program where we have said this is an issue and we're confronting it head on. We're late to the game, but we are ahead of any other religious organization in the world with Ended Now. It's a health issue. We're at the health summit, so let's talk about the health issues along with this. Um, global health threat, second only to the lack of clean water. One out of two women do not have access 25 minutes, okay. One out of uh, two women do not have access to clean drinking water in the world. One out of three will be victims of rape, sexual assault, or some other gender-based violence. We cannot have an effective global health ministry without looking at this. Um, leading cause of ER visits for women ages 15 to 44. The leading cause of injury to pregnant women. Not car accidents, not falling down the stairs, not whatever can happen. The leading cause of injury to pregnant women is abuse. For so many women, the abuse starts when she becomes pregnant. Some new statistics. You haven't seen these, Dana. These were just put in, came out from a new study. Victims of domestic violence are 30% more likely to have high cholesterol. Correlation, causation, we're not sure. These are fairly new numbers, but those facts are true. Stress, um, I'm going to self-medicate with chocolate and other unhealthy, you know, excess whatever, sweets and unhealthy foods, comfort food as they say. Women who report a history of domestic, domestic violence are 80% more likely to have a stroke. 70% more likely to have heart disease. These are real health threats. These are probably some of the three of the greatest health threats in this country. In fact, yesterday was Heart Awareness Day, wear red for Women's Heart Health Day yesterday. Wear purple. As well, domestic violence has a huge effect on women's physical health. It's a spiritual issue. Dr. Drum study out of Southern, she studied 1,431 victims in 49, and I put this in bold, SDA congregations. We're not talking about those people. We're talking about us. I'm tired, so help me with the math here. How many times does 49 go into 1,431? Round figure. 28 and a half, something like that. Cheated, done this a thousand times. <laughs> Think about that. Each congregation she looked at, not all were mega churches. Some were very small country churches. Wide range, wide demographics. 28 victims in each congregation. 69% said that the violence led them to distrust God. Isn't that what Satan's ultimate goal is with everything, is to separate us from God? He's found a very effective tool. 72% said this took away from their personal devotions. Again, cutting us off from God. Satan is an abuser. He has systematic tactics to exercise power and control to isolate us from God. Um, discouraged from attending church, almost all of them, for the reasons we just discussed. 
70% said that violence kept them from giving tithes and offerings. We don't want to say, look, the church budget is weak because of this, but that speaks to the economic isolation. She's not allowed to have money to give to the church. If she's not coming to church, she's not putting tithes and offerings in the plate. The whole reason we exist as a movement, being a Christian witness to the world, 85% of these women said that the violence prevented them from doing that. The reason we exist, the reason God gives us every single breath to share the gospel message to the world, Satan uses this to bring that to a screeching halt. And there are a lot more women than men in the church. So Satan has found the biggest population, frankly, the most active population, and said, I've got a tactic to stop them. Decreased church-related activities, as we can um, imagine. This is the one that brings tears to my eyes. 66% said that the violence caused them to feel betrayed by their church and or pastor. It's not that we're bad people. It's that we do not understand the dynamics of violence. We are not equipped to deal with the dynamics of violence. Pastors suddenly say, let's come into couples counseling, which is the exact wrong thing to do. That's about 11 o'clock tomorrow we're going to unpack that. What happens when we don't understand something? We become afraid. What happens when we're afraid? We avoid. So without even consciously trying to, we shun victims, we shun families in crisis because we just are not equipped. And then they feel isolated, then they leave the church. I've done some research and pulled together some statistics. I estimate there are approximately 142,000 women in this country who are no longer in the church because we had no clue how to deal with issues of family violence. Again, I do not have peer-reviewed research. Even if that number's ridiculously high, what if the number was 10,000? That's still 10,000 too many. If the number is two, that is two too many. It's a life-threatening issue. These 28.3 victims per con uh, congregation, 61% of them experienced controlling and demeaning behavior. We expect that. 42% experienced physical violence or the threat of violence. 28 victims, 42%, 13. 13 women in each congregation had been physically abused or really thought it was about to happen. 26% sexually victimized, so a quarter of 28, seven. Seven women in each of these churches had been sexually victimized by their husband or boyfriend. 22% experienced leveraging the children. This is my dad's favorite tactic. Beverly, that was my mom's name. I'll lawyer up and you'll never see Chris and John again. Threatening to take the kids, common tactic. Using the kids, trying to convince them that mom's the crazy one and mom's the troublemaker. Well, it's not that I didn't want to take you to Chuck E. Jesus, but mom acted out and she did this so we couldn't go. Those type of things. 9%, so we'll say 10% of 28, two to three women in each congregation had experienced things that were potentially lethal. You're talking the brandishing of a weapon. You're talking strangulation to the point where she really thought she was going to die in each of these congregations. We have, what, 5,000 churches in uh, North America, I think? Two per congregation. That's 10,000 Seventh-day Adventist women in this, in this country who really thought they were going to die at some point at the hands of their partner. These are scary numbers. So what do we do with all of this? Well, these numbers are out there. They've been out there as early as 2007. There was an article in Adventist Review discussing this. 
and uh, the summary of all of this, but yet 15 minutes. Uh Uh-oh. Well, Claudio is not here yet. If he's not here on time, I can go into his time. (laughs) We don't want to admit that it happens. We do not want to admit that it happens in our church. And I'm not talking church at Seventh-day Adventist. I'm also talking church at Gastonia Seventh-day Adventist Church or San Diego Seventh-day Adventist Church, wherever you happen to be from. Yeah, it might occur in that Adventist church, but not mine. It does. It's not a failure on our part. The failure is if we don't admit it, learn and help people. We believe that it is an inappropriate topic to discuss. If I can get to this book pretty quickly, I will read you a quote. Barbara Hernandez has written a number of books. If you go to adventsource.com or .org, I always forget which one it is, you can find a number of books she has written on this topic. And I'm not going to take too long. I've I've read it so many times I can paraphrase if I have to. The blue tab. Hmm, it is not the blue tab. Anyways, she was invited to speak at a Seventh-day Adventist church. She had spoken there before, warm reception. Everybody loved her. Obviously, she got invited back three months later. They must have uh, had an affinity for her. And she spoke on the topic of this topic here. Kept it very toned down, non-explicit. You know, you have children in divine service, and there's certain things you don't want to get into there. This man storms out of the sanctuary. I mean, just obviously upset. After the service, you know, she shakes the hands, all the things we do, goes out in the hall, and he approaches her and starts berating her, saying, this is an inappropriate topic. You cannot discuss this from the pulpit. What are you doing? Just lost his mind. You never know. She, um, I have no idea. But here's the thing. She had visited that church not that long ago and said his sermon was on the health topic. Great, we need more of that. And it was talking about the proper amount of fiber to have a free-flowing system and something about not having hard stools and everything like that. Basically, he got up there and talked about the importance of fiber for healthy fecal matter. We could talk about that, which, hey, it's a topic, you know, fiber, important topic and how it affects us. That's okay to talk about the pulpit, but from not, not to talk about a topic that is killing the women of our church. You just don't talk about this now. Anything else, we can talk about bodily fluids and functions and all of that. So just an idea. We think it's inappropriate. Misunderstanding the Bible verses relating to the roles of men and women, wives, submit to your husbands and all of that. I'm not on the schedule to preach this weekend. I wish I was. I have a great sermon on that. I get lots of hallelujahs from the women. Men tend to be pretty silent. We believe that we need to save the marriage at all costs, no matter what. Divorce rate's way too high. It's way too high in our church. There are way too many, you know what, I just don't want to put the effort into having a relationship any more divorces going on. We need to work on those through family ministries and everything else. But if there is abuse going on, you cannot pull from the Bible or even the writings of Ellen White, or anywhere, saying that the woman should stay there and be abused. It's not there. There is a time, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter, I want to say chapter 7, 10, and 11, specifically talks about that. Most theologians say that about wives leaving your husbands, if necessary, is specifically talking about abuse. 
Hey, I got ahead of myself. So yes, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11. Take a look at those two. Did one of these seminars in a small church somewhere. A woman came in from the community. They had advertised this, non-Adventist woman. Had been being abused for 40 years. She was 75 years old. Had gone to every church in the county. And they basically said, go home and submit and try harder and all of that. She came in, a, I mean, just when she broke down and 40 years of pain rolled off of her. We were all crying. We were all just, I mean, she, we went into the word of God. We prayed together. We sang hymns together. She walked out of there praising the name of Jesus. And she said, no matter what happens, I am a worthy child of God. That's what this ministry is about. Bringing people to Jesus, bringing people hope. Um, we talk about protecting the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a very important part of the uh, church message. It's a very important part of the Bible. So that's really this wellspring of our health ministries. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to treat it properly. Very important. That's why we're here all week. But if someone was coming to burn your church down, what would you do? You'd call the fire department, you'd get a fire extinguisher, you'd get a fire hose, a garden hose, you would do whatever you could to protect that physical temple. Are we really going to say that this temple of the Holy Spirit, beautifully made by the Creator Himself, is supposed to stand there and be defiled by an abuser? I think not. That's a whole theological discussion, but I just want to throw that point out there. Matthew 18, 6, we're called to protect the children. Yes, Jesus is talking about spiritual children there, those new to the faith. We need to nurture them and protect them, lead them and guide them and all of that. But like almost all of Jesus' words, there are two layers there, the spiritual and the physical. We are called to protect children, children who are being abused, children who are witnessing abuse will most likely grow up in, to enter into abusive relationships as adults, when we sit here and say, you know what, leave them there, we are condemning those children to a very hard life when we might have been able to do something about it. And we have a lack of awareness and training such as this. Most people do not know it is this prevalent in the church until they come to something like this. Most people, including our pastors, not downing the pastors, the training just isn't there, do not know what to do in these situations. Our women's ministries leaders, pastors, wives, elders, have, just have no idea what to do. So these are some of the challenges we face as a church. Big challenges. They're not insurmountable. So what is End It Now? This is the official, really long-winded mission statement. The boldest stand the Seventh-day Adventist Church has ever taken regarding violence against women and girls. Women's ministries and ADRA are joining hands to stand up, to mobilize Adventist women, church members, all individuals, church congregations of every faith, social groups, schools, and businesses to stand up in favor of human rights and say, end it now to violence against women and girls. Let me summarize that. We all need to be a part of the solution. So we're pulling together all the ministries. There's been a lot of work going on around this in our church for 20 years. Little Pockets. Mabel Dunbar has done a lot. Um, Ron and Karen Flowers, when they were family ministries leaders, did a lot of work. Um, and so many others. Uh, Barbara Hernandez, who I mentioned. ADRA programs. When you look at ADRA's programs around the world, they're about providing mostly about, after disaster relief, economic self-sufficiency. 
right there is the solution to a lot of the violence against women. Women do 70% of the work in the world and control 1% of the wealth. Women, are, in a global sense, are virtually slave labor. Economic empowerment, they don't have to sell themselves into sexual slavery. They don't have to depend on someone else for an income and stand there and take the abuse so they can feed their children. Um, abuse Prevention Emphasis Day, most people don't know about this. Year 2000 and, or 2001, fourth Sabbath of August is Abuse Prevention Emphasis Day. You can go to the North American Women's Ministries website every year. Someone puts together a sermon, a PowerPoint, children's story, a whole program. You do not have to be a, a renowned public speaker to do it. It's got the PowerPoint and everything. They're extremely well written. Pick it up a week before, go through it a few times. You can talk on, on various topics of abuse, um, elder abuse, child abuse, all kinds of, they rotate. All of the programs from prior years are still out there. So if you wanna get excited and do one on any other day, have at it. Um, Family Ministries obviously has done a lot of work around this. Women's Ministries, obviously since most women are, most victims are women, Women's Ministries has been very involved in this. Health Ministries, I love the fact that Katya sees this as a public health issue, because it is. And activists at all levels of the church. I meet people who are doing some little pockets of work in their local communities. If we get all these people rowing in the same direction, we will make a difference. So End It Now is not a separate department. It's pulling together what we have into a cohesive, unified vision and thrust to end it now. There are two major groups missing from that list. Who did I leave out? Men and youth. Yeah. Youth ministries. I'm trying to get them involved. Uh, children's ministries. If we teach children at this high what healthy relationships are like, they're less likely to end up in unhealthy relationships. Um, how to work with children who are witnessing violence in the home or have been abused. And men's ministries, men are the perpetrators. Men's ministries is going to have to be the one to reach them. If a man believes that a woman is a second-class citizen, and we're going to spend a lot of time on that tomorrow morning, that is the root of all of this violence, the basic ideological belief that women are property and second-class citizens. Even though we don't say it that way anymore, it's still ingrained in our culture. They're not going to listen to women's ministries talk about how it's wrong. If anybody's going to reach them, it's men's ministries. Good point, Dana. Thank you. Some of the programs that ADRA has, we're operating a, I shouldn't say we, I don't work for ADRA, but operating a safe house in Romania for victims of domestic and sexual violence. We have 2,000 women's shelters in this country. There's one in Romania. These things don't exist around the world. Well, the sad thing is we have 4,000 animal shelters, but only 2,000 women shelters. That right there tells you what our culture thinks about women. Um, job training for teens in Niger and all parts of Africa stem the tide of sexual exploitation. If you have a skill that you can use to support yourself, you're not selling yourself into sexual slavery. Um, homes for widows and orphans in uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. The things that are going on there are just absolutely incomprehensible to women. Uh, female genital mutilation, specifically in Sierra Leone. For those of you who don't know what that is, you can Google it. Do not click images. Trust me. Um, basically, it's the removal of all or part of the female genitalia for cultural and traditional reasons. You cannot find a religion that endorses it. It's just the way that it is. These people are not going to Florida Adventist Hospital or Loma Linda. It's being done in the middle of fields with tools like this. Most wind up infertile. Many wind up dying. 
Sometimes it happens at infancy. There's a woman in my program who shared her story. She's from Nigeria. The tradition in her piece of the country was after you're married and pregnant with your first child, then you go through this. Imagine that trauma. You're 20 years old, married, first child. All of those things are going on. And a bunch of men in charge tell you that, you know, we're going to deface your genitalia because we need to. Besides the physical pain, how does that completely destroy the psyche? Um, ending the practice of child brides. The cultures marry off children as early as the age of three. I've, in my giant stack of papers that I tote when I'm driving around instead of flying, there's an article about a, uh, not that long ago, a nine-year-old child bride who died. Sex organs ruptured. Children this high are not equipped to have sexual relationships with adults. But that is still going on. Um, stopping sex trafficking in India. This is my favorite one. At a lot of the border crossings between Thailand and India, not here to bag on Thailand, most of the uh, trafficking does come into India from Thailand. We actually have stations that work with the border guards there to be able to identify the signs of sex trafficking, intercept these girls before they are entered into brothels in uh, India. Huge success there. Love that story. Um, if you go to adra.org, um, you'll see next to all, you can give to all the different programs. You'll see the little End It Now logo next to them. And you'll see that most of them are about empowerment, um, literacy, job skills. And I'm getting the uh, hurry up, you're running out of time thing. Um, domestic efforts, what are we doing? We're educating members and leaders. We're doing what we're doing here today. We've done it, local churches, camp meetings. We had the health summit. Um, no, we're at the health summit. Had the abuse summit at Loma Linda. Encouraging people to work with shelters and programs in their local areas. Shelters depend on volunteers. For every one paid employee, there's probably 40 volunteers. Great way to reach out. We'll go into detail more about how you can do all of these things in your local community. Um, empowering survivors and victims and activists to make a difference. There are so many survivors in our church who want to make a difference but are afraid to speak out. When we create a safe place where we can empower people and let God use them to really make a difference, great things will happen. So by giving people tools, the safe place, and everything else to make a difference. We had the Abuse Summit at Loma Linda in October. We had... Um, ministry leaders from around the world, the president of whatever conference Italy was in, is in was there. We had people from England, Romania, um, Australia. It was awesome. I've been promoting this for a year all over the country, but of course we've got our, uh, what we're doing here today, the health summit, and there's a lot more events being planned. Okay, I did wrap up on time. What am I talking about tomorrow? The culture that encourages violence. A lot of things that we just, we've tuned out. Even as Adventists who are supposed to be sensitive to the things that we take in through our eyes, our ears, and everything else, we've just seen so much in today's broken culture that even we've become numb to them and the messages that are being sent. Um, family violence and the youth, I'm going to go into that. Working with victims. Okay, you have a friend, you have a sister, you have a, a friend in the church that is a victim. What do you do? And I guarantee you, unless you've worked with victims before, the answer's probably not what you think. Then in the afternoon, I get to the hard stuff. If you think this is hard for our church, our church has not even begun to scratch the surface of this, working with perpetrators. 
what do we do? How many pastors? A bunch. How many head elders? A bunch. All kinds of leaders. I've had one woman share with me, he was the head deacon. I was the church clerk. Nobody believed me because he was a great head deacon, and there's no way he could do that. That's pretty much our answer to working with perpetrators. Carla shared a story with me about one church. The, um, I think he was a deacon, had abused the child. He went to jail for six months. He got out. They immediately restored him as a deacon. He's paid his debt to society, so that's it. No counseling, no nothing he went through. So we've got about an hour. We're going to talk about what we need to do there. And not this isn't a perpetrators are evil people. Their sin is no worse than any of ours. That's the other mistake we make. We're like, okay, off with their heads. Most have been victimized as a child. This is not to justify or excuse any bad behavior. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be penalties. But if that's all we're doing, we're not ministering. Ministering is bringing people back to Christ. That's tough. You know how I got into battery intervention work? I was at the shelter one day talking to the DV program director. She had worked with a huge batter intervention program in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I, I told her, I said, I couldn't work with the batterers. I would just, you put me in the room with a batter, I'm going to plant one through a table. It's just, that's our natural reaction, especially after working with so many victims. The next day, I was offered a job working with the batter intervention program. I said, okay, God, I get it. <laughs> so that's how I wound up. And it completely changes your perspective. I expected to walk in and, you know, really despise every one of these guys. I didn't. These were guys mostly who had been raised around it, raised in it, and just had no idea that there was something else. It's just normal. We're going to um, see a small video tomorrow where Ellen Pence, um, wonderful woman who's done so much work in this movement, talks about the power and control. It's not that men want it. It's that we're raised to expect it. It's just the natural order of things. And that's why we, I'm going to spend so much time talking about culture. Working with victims is great. Working with perpetrators is great. But all we're doing is recycling people back into society. One in four women will be victims. That number has not moved, no matter how much work has been done, no matter how much money has been spent. Why? Until we change the culture, it's not going to happen. And people say that that is absolutely ridiculous. The Seventh-day Adventist Church was at the forefront of the movement to end slavery. Imagine 1850 saying we're going to end slavery. You can't do that. You have to turn the entire culture on its head. It happened. We were at the forefront of women's suffrage in the uh, early 1900s as a church. Women as free-thinking beings who are allowed to have a say, that's absolutely unheard of. It happened. Civil rights, equality, everybody, what? That's insane. That you'd have to turn the culture on its head. And it's happening. All of these things are not completely solved, but there's been a lot of progress because a lot of people, including a lot of Seventh-day Adventists, said, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to be a voice. I'm going to do my part. It can be done. And then I get really practical. Okay, we can't all change the world. None of us can change the world. We can change the world for one person. We can change the world in our household, in our community. That's where this stuff happens. And then we have our rousing conclusion, and then there's something awesome tomorrow evening. What's that program we're going to? 
whatever. There's something great, and we'll, um, and that'll be the end of the seminar. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.